everybody and welcome to episode one of the Marching On Together podcast. I'm your host, Liam Horsley. I'm absolutely delighted to finally bring you this podcast. It's been in the works for a while, um, but now I can finally get it out there. Uh, the plan for the podcast is to be a weekly uh, podcast where I am your host and I will speak to different guests each week. Mostly it will be Legion United related guests to talk about all things going on at Ellen Road and in the Premiership Football. Uh, also, we'll have a few non-Legion United guests to get different views on the club, the team, the season, obviously, football in general. Um, for week one, we have uh, a great guest, a really good friend of mine, Connor from the Inforce Wing podcast. We met when he was uh, involved with the All East TV group, became good friends and even attended Derby home and away in the playoffs together, which we don't talk about much in the podcast. Um, Connor now creates his own content. He does a podcast where he speaks to different sporting personalities about their journey, uh, and it's really, really good. But he also has his YouTube channel where he talks about all things Leeds still. Um, he talks about the transfers, he talks about the, the games, he talks about the players, the club in general. And at the moment, he's doing daily uploads, so he's absolutely killing it in terms of content for, for Leeds United fans. So big shout out to him, and I hope you guys really enjoy listening to our chat in a minute. Uh, before I pass over to that chat, I want to talk about myself a little bit more and talk about the uh, sponsor we have for the podcast. Uh, like I said, I'm Liam. I'm a huge Leeds fan. Um, I've been talking about Leeds on Twitter for a long time. Uh, you can follow me at, at underscore Liam Horsley. Uh, and I thought, why not branch out from the Twitter sphere and uh, branch out into the Leeds United podcast world? So that is why I'm here. Um, I've already got my uh, other podcasts I'm involved in. Uh, an NBA one and an NFL one, but I thought, why not talk about my one true sporting love, which is Leeds United. Um, in terms of how I became a Leeds fan, that's really because of my dad, Trevor. Uh, he was a huge Leeds fan. He's been mentioned in a few books, such as Paint It White and The Second Coat, about supporting Leeds in the 60s, 70s and 80s. So you can imagine the activities that went on back then. Um, he used to follow Leeds up and down the country, all over the world in the good days. Uh, and he kind of dragged me and my sister with him from a young age. And everybody knows once you go to Ellen Road, you're kind of hooked for life. Uh, so really it's because of him that you guys are here listening to me talk about Leeds. Um, and in terms of the podcast, we're absolutely ecstatic to announce that we have our first sponsor. Um, our first sponsor is the Twitter handle, at Mugs NFL. Um, these guys I've known for a while and they produce amazing stuff. So they produce uh, customized sporting mugs, T-shirts, hoodies, uh, and jumpers um, they basically do anything you want from customised NFL, NBA English football uh, your own teams, whatever you want they can do it uh, and in terms of this podcast they're offering Leeds fans a special deal at the moment with the podcast so for £10 you can get a t-shirt with the badge or marching on together printed on uh, on the left side uh, and then you can get your favourite player's name and number or your name and number printed on the right side this is only for £10 as well um, all you've got to do is DM the guys uh, at Mugs NFL, quoting the name of the podcast, which is obviously marching on together, or you can put MOT pod, and then you get that deal. Uh, and also they offer an array of other stuff, not just this t-shirt. You can get anything Leeds United. I've got a few Leeds United jumpers. Uh, a couple of my friends have got Leeds United mugs. And you can put any other badge on. I've got a nice Yorkshire Rose one, or you can have the current badge. You can have the Centenary badge, whatever you want. So I urge you to go check those guys out. And a big thank you for them for sponsoring the pod. And now I'm going to hand over to my chat with Connor. Uh, it's a really good one. I hope you enjoy it. Um, and I will speak to you soon. Right now, I'm delighted to be joined by Connor from the In Full Swing podcast. How are you doing, mate? You right? Yeah, very well, mate. Um, another day, another, another day in the life of Leeds United and getting closer to that season. So 
very excited, mate, and uh, yeah, delighted to be on the pod. Yeah, it's crazy how fast it's come around, isn't it? Since since we got promoted, it just seems like the weeks are going by so fast now. Yeah, I think I think it does. I mean, but when I look at it now, I just think to myself that is does that feel so long ago now? I still think it does feel quite long ago. But at the same time, it's like you know when you turn around, you're like, oh my god, we're at Anfield in nine days. It's like what, like. I don't even feel like prepared in myself, never mind sort of leads wise. Yeah, especially when you can't watch any pre-season so far and we've got this random international break just slotted right before the season starts. It doesn't seem like it doesn't seem like we're going to be starting the league season in a few days. What's all that about the international break? Have they just plopped it in there? So apparently um, I read that it, this was the original like break of when we're supposed to start the season in August. Right. And they were going to move it, but all the smaller nations they rely on international the the money from the international games to like keep the FAs afloat for places like Iceland. So they right. basically blanketed and said, "Oh no, we're not going to cancel because otherwise we could see like national teams going bust." Uh, and then teams like England and Ireland and that we just get stitched up because <laughs> we have to play even though they don't need the money and it's just a, almost a pointless game. Our players are going to have like two days' notice to play against Liverpool, which is fun. Yeah, I saw Dallas. Dallas isn't happy with it, is he? No, no, he mentioned that I think a couple of the lads travelling back are going to get back on Thursday. And obviously we play at five o'clock on Saturday. So you're talking 48 hours between games. Yeah. Uh, and it'll be the biggest games in most of their careers. I know, obviously, we're going to play every week. But the first game back is going to be huge, isn't it? Oh, mate, it's massive. Absolutely massive. And I think that's this Liverpool game, like, you know, if we just move on slightly to that, I think it's it's... It's a massive game, not only just for you know us, but it's a huge game for them as well because they've been on a little bit of a dip. Um, obviously, they are you know <laughs> they're an incredible side. They've lost Anfield in about three years, but that 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 duck has to be broken. And I think the scene is is a little bit of a Norwich. It's like ah, you know, team coming up. They play a bit of a, an aggressive style of football. But you know, I was doing a video the other day, and we're nowhere near. We're not the similar team to Norwich. You know, I get it sort of in the in the style of play technically how aggressive we are on and off the ball. We're a completely different beast than Norwich. So I think Liverpool, they could be in for a little bit of a shock initially. And I'm sure Klopp will have them prepared for that. Yeah, I agree. I think a big difference with us is our coaching. Obviously, whether you think how good Bielsa is or not throughout his career, I think the coaching standard that we've got compared to a lot of teams that come up from the Championship is so much higher. It's almost like a wilder type in terms of knowing your own team and knowing your own players. So I think we're going to cause a few, a few shocks. But uh, before we move on to this season and talk about last season, let's have a little intro. Why don't you just tell us about your podcast and what you're, what you're doing and your plans with that going forward for the new season? Yeah, um, obviously, I started the Enforcing podcast. I started that in about November 2019. I started it with just what I wanted to get was the insights of sports stars, you know, whether or not be athletes, you know, boxers, MMA, whatever. Um, I wanted to get sort of the backstories on their lives and, and I found that really interesting because I just find the progression of athletes and, you know, obviously people in that sphere very, very, um, I guess it's because when I was young, I sort of grew up, you know, I, I played football to a decent level. So I think it's just because I can affiliate with that. So I started that in 2019 and I progressed that into about 2020. And then I sort of realised that I wanted to start talking about Leeds again as well. Uh, <laughs> So, yeah, rebranded the channel, gave it a little bit more of a generic name. And, yeah, mate, just doing Leeds content, podcasts near on every week as well. And, uh, yeah, just really enjoying it. So, yeah. Cool. And how did you get in originally, for anyone who doesn't know you, to support in Leeds? Is it like a family connection? Or, obviously, I know you live near the area. So, 
Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I live in York now, but I grew up and I was part of, uh, yeah, I was. I lived in Crossgates in Leeds for the best part of sort of 10, 12 years. And then uh, we made the uh, we made the move to York, but my old man's a massive, massive Leeds fan. Um, still will have no red in the house, uh, which, <laughs> which can be a problem sometimes. But <laughs> But yeah, mate, my dad was the, the the big the big one, the big one who drove us forward to uh, to get this wonderful chalice that is Leeds United. Yeah, and I've seen a few uh, texts from him when we've gone to games together, and uh, he's a very passionate Leeds fan. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah, he's um, yeah he's, uh, he's he's a little bit impulsive, like I am, um, and uh, yeah, he absolutely yeah he adores the club, but it but it drives him insane as well. I'd actually arguably say he potentially is even more passionate. Than me, which I know when we've been to games together, you'll you'll be pretty stunned at that. <laughs> yeah, definitely, definitely. Cool. All right, so let's move on to talk about last season then before we talk about the transfers and our thoughts on the upcoming year. Um, so last season, what was your thoughts before the season going in? Were you quite confident? I know we had loads of chats about squad building and obviously losing Janssen and Roof and replacing them. Um, and what was your most memorable moment as well from the, the run-in at the end? Oh, great question. Um yeah, I think I think going into the season, I wasn't. Uh, I mean, we had chats about it. I think I think if you turn around at the end of last season, you thought Ben White was going to be the sort of like replacement that he was for Janssen. I think you know you, you're telling Porky's there. I think we all just sort of turned around and thought Ben White was going to be sort of that secondary centre back, and then potentially would have brought maybe like a I don't know a Van der Horn in from Swansea as that sort of immediate replacement. But didn't turn out that way, obviously. And um, yeah, I went into the season. I was. I think it's because, mate, like the season before had it killed me so much. Obviously, we were at that derby, both derby games together, and it just it killed my mindset so much that I was just like, look, this could happen again. But you know, the league was quite strong last year as well. I think a lot of people said it wasn't, but I, I still do think it was a decent league. But um, yeah, so I wasn't that enthusiastic, but I knew we were going to be sort of top top four. So you know, I, I knew we were going to be there or thereabouts, but. My most memorable moment and probably the best moment, mate, was the I think it was the Hernandez finish against Swansea. For me, for me, that's when it all turned. And uh, yeah, that was when we'd sort of I think that's when we secured it. Yeah, I think that was one of the only moments in before we actually got promoted where you were sat at home being like, Oh, this is a game when you just really, really wish fans were there. Because the noise would have been unbelievable, wouldn't it, when that goal went in? Oh mate, yeah. I mean there was so many though, wasn't there? There's so many leading up to that. That last bit, I mean, I even think that one nil against Barnsley, like obviously I knew it was sort of like, you know, all, all done and all that sort of stuff. But I just think the roar of the crowd and just the jubilation of the Leeds fans at that time, it had just been something to behold. And listen, it's been robbed from us. It has, but it's been robbed from a lot of fan base as well. And and I think hopefully at this point, you know, we'll, we will still get to see, you know, City at home and Chelsea at home and Man United at home when it all comes back round. Yeah, I was going to ask you, how did promotion feel? Like, obviously, we we didn't actually go up with our own own three points. Technically, I know we had to rely on other teams. But when did you watch the obviously the Huddersfield game and then the the Stoke game? And what was your reaction when it when it all finally happened? Yeah, mate. I mean, it was that weekend, wasn't it? It was a bit of a ridiculous weekend. Um, Huddersfield were playing West Brom, and I was a little bit like, you know. I mean, West Brom just kept getting little wins here and there, but, you know, they won three out of the last ten, so it wasn't an incredible record. Um, so you were sort of thinking to yourself, you know, could Huddersfield do something here? You know, have got some decent players, Mill Smith-Rowe, Carl and Grant. Um, they've got another lad in the midfield, haven't they? A blonde lad who's a good player. Oh, Brian, I think it is. Um, yeah, it is, yeah. Player. And, yeah, I, I was sort of, 
quietly confident that Huddersfield might be able to nick a point. But then, you know, when they got... And they, they deserved it as well. They deserved it when they played. They played well. They played to the strengths. And then, obviously, the game after, which was just mental. You know, when Stoke beat, beat Brentford. But I always said, you know, Brentford had maybe maybe one or two games outside London. Not that far out of London. But they had, they had quite a decent running, sort of, um, geography-wise. They didn't have to go too far on the running. So, when they went up to Stoke, it was a little bit different. And uh, once again, I thought Stoke thoroughly deserved the win. And yeah, my absolute jubilations. I had about four bottles of champagne, I think, to myself. <laughs> and uh, a weekend I'll, I'll remember for the rest of my life. Yeah, I think most Leeds fans will say that's going to go down history, isn't it? It's one of the best weekends ever. And we didn't even have to stress about our own game, which is very rare for us not to have to go into a game worrying if we're going to throw it away. So, so that, that was good. Um, and then we got to do the old pyros on uh, Pride Park on the Sunday. <laughs> I mean, how good would it have been? Obviously, if, you know, obviously, like I said, we went there last year. It'd have been amazing, wouldn't it, if we'd have been able to go back there? But the pyros, yeah. I mean, I think West Brom did the exact same thing and didn't get charged. But it's uh, it's just the Leeds effect, isn't it? But I couldn't believe it. You know, we ran more than any. Well, I think the running statistics were higher than they have been under Marcelo Bielsa in his two-year tenure. So that just shows the commitment that you know the, this bunch of lads has, and obviously, Strike was playing. And, um, you know, we, we didn't have a, a, a serious team out, really, did we? And, and I think, you know, the boys just turned up and it was a brilliant win. We completely nullified Rooney and they just didn't, they, they weren't up for it. They didn't touch the ball and, and Leeds strolled to victory, didn't they? Yeah, I think that was the same with the Charlton game. You could see that even though we'd gone up those last two games, that the lads still wanted to prove they're the best team in the league and then to go away and win it by 10 points. I think any Leeds fan, if you'd have said 10 points after the last year's Derby game, that we'd win the league by, I think you would have seen a few shocked faces. Yeah, I mean, I keep saying 12, mate. I keep getting that wrong, obviously, because it's, you know, but in my head, it was just promotion. It was just automatic mm. promotion. That was the aim. So that's why I keep turning around and saying, look, you know, we're 12 points clear, but in essence, it was only 10. But, you know, I say it's only 10. I mean, Christ, what an incredible, incredible achievement that was. And, and you know, I think, I think it'll be a, a long time in the championship because of how competitive that league gets year in, year out, before you see a team winning it by ten points again. I don't think I don't think that's going to be replicated um for a long time. And obviously twelve points from first to third, it really is a, a magnificent achievement. Especially for a club like ours where we so the media make us rely so heavily on our obviously our fans home and away and to do it in empty stadiums where you think maybe Ellen Road won't be quite as fortress as it normally is. To go away and to beat teams like Fulham, to have that Barnsley game, and then to go away at Pride Park after already winning the league, it's, I think the, the lads showed that they're the best team in the league last year, I think. Yeah, definitely. Definitely by a country mile. And, you know, we're, you know me, naturally pessimistic, I'm, I'm promisingly going to turn that around this year. I really am. Um, <laughs> I was looking at it and I thought, God, Derby, God, Blackburn. Which if you remember, you know, Derby were on some decent form. I think they were the top in the in the division for the home form and Blackburn were no I'm notoriously was sticky side obviously beat us the year before at Ewood Park. But we just we just showed a completely different side to us. We were we were ruthless in that running after you know after that, that, that lockdown period. We were just no one could cope with us. And you know it was one of those where you know to come back from that 2-0 loss at Cardiff and you know where we're all sort of down in the dumps, you know, to come back and just to play like we did and we were just we were just outstanding for those last periods and and it changed my mentality as well on a lot of players and you know someone like Patrick Bamford for example my head was one way on Bamford but you know after he came back and he was playing the way he was 
I thought he was outstanding and, and you, I really saw a different side to him and you know he proved me and a lot of people wrong. Yeah, I, I did say that um, when I speak to a few mates around the time. I thought that Bamford and Costa had both proved a lot of people wrong in that running. I think both ways as well. Their work rate was phenomenal. Something maybe Costa had been a bit a bit uh, negative towards at the start of the season, but both of them were tracking back. They both had influence in a lot of goals, and I think Bamford probably changed a few people's minds in that in the running. Yeah, oh yeah, definitely, mate. Yeah, I mean, I completely agree. I think. Yeah, don't get me wrong, he's never going to be a, a, a prolific goal scorer. He, he won't. That's not in his game. It's never been in his game. Um, but I don't I don't really know when Bielsa's ever had an out-and-out prolific goal scorer um, in his side. I mean, what, apart from maybe Llorente, I don't know, at Bilbao, but that's that's all I can really see. It's all about the team ethic, isn't it? And I think Bamford suits that ethic absolutely perfectly. Yeah, and it was uh, very typical for Mr Pablo Hernandez to... Uh dominate those last seven or eight games as well and probably be the star of the, the league that maybe he'd had a bit of a down season compared to the year before but absolutely f- phenomenal in the running. Yeah, I mean before lockdown you were sort of looking at him and you were thinking God, is he tired? He's not really pulling up trumps. It's, yeah, it was a little bit like, um, yeah, he's had a bit not not an off season but it's not been as nowhere near as, as, as effective as he was the season before but then after lockdown and how Bielsa was using him um, just in terms of him coming on at half-time. And we can still deploy that in the Premier League for me. That could still be a tactic. You know, if we get if we get some bodies in in that CAM role and we bring Pablo on at half-time, that's still going to terrify defenders um, and, you know, midfielders alike. So it's a really good tactic and he just utilised Pablo Hernandez in the perfect way. And, and Pablo was just absolutely astronomical in everything we did. Yeah, and it's crazy to think he pretty much did most of those games on a slightly pulled hamstring as well. Like that was the re- people forget that it wasn't originally a tactical decision, was it? It was because he had that tight hamstring. But obviously, Marcelo knows that without Pablo, our chance of creating goals are a lot slimmer. Uh, and I think in the Premiership, using him like that 45, 30 minute roll off the bench could even prolong his career more. We could get a good two years out of him before we see him move on. Yeah, it's a valid point. I think you're right. I think um, you know you're playing 45 minutes every week, and he'll know his role. You know, I think there was a couple of times, it might have been against Barnsley, where he was brought he was brought on, then brought off. I can't really remember. I think it was. And he didn't yeah, look, it was Barnsley, yeah. yeah. And he didn't look happy at all, did he? But, you know, he's you know he's got to look at it, really, Pablo, and, and take a step back. And, just you know, he's done wonders for us. But, you know, he's 35 years old now. Like, as you just said, you know, if you want to prolong his career, you know, Cristiano Ronaldo prolongs his career in being an absolute freak in working out and doing things that he's never done in his life before and improving every single year. I think Bielsa and Pablo can work together so that we get the best out of Pablo Hernandez in a completely different way, in a tactical and a strategic way. Yeah, definitely. And I think aside from Pablo as well, we saw um, we saw Ben White and Liam Cooper play absolutely incredible as well in those last games. I think Cooper himself might even suit their Premier League even better. Uh, I think there's a lot of people have said that you get a lot more thinking time as well in the Premiership compared to the Championship, where it can be a bit of a random league. Like we've seen how many late goals there are in the Championship and how many <laughs> horrendous refereeing decisions there are. I think that uh, someone like Liam Cooper could benefit similar to Pablo Hernandez and stepping up in a maybe less games uh, in the Premiership. Yeah, really good point. Um, you know, I think this is the thing what a lot of people need to take into account as well. It's 38 games, obviously, you know, that's excluding cup competitions. But Saturday to Saturday is, you know, absolutely fine with me. You know, the, 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 I think it's the most difficult league in the world, Liam, the championship, just in terms of dog-eat-dog dog and getting out of it. I mean, we've known that for nearly two decades now. 
Um, but, you know, you still see teams like Forest in there, teams like Sheffield Wednesday, you know, so-called big teams, you know, have come down from the Premier League. But it's just such a horrendous league to get out of. And it, and it is exactly like you say, it's because it's so sporadic. Any team can be any team on any given day. Whereas the Premier League, I think it's a little bit more predictable. And that's because obviously of the increase in quality in terms of the top six. But I think the top 10 a lot of it, you know, you can predict in terms of form. You know, for example, if Crystal Palace got a two-game winning streak, it's likely that they'll win that third game. Whereas, you know, Crystal Palace in the Championship, per se, if they're playing, if they win two games, there's a higher likelihood that they will then go on to lose two games. It's just a completely ridiculous league in terms of, um, once again, predicting the outcome. And, and I think that now we're out of it. Someone like Liam Cooper, someone like Robin Koch, I think it is going to be it's going to be very, very interesting to see them and having time on the ball, not, you know, making these sort of instinctive decisions, but actually being able to take the time and pick the pass and, and really give us an advantage in that sense. Yeah, I completely agree. And going back to your point about the less games, um, I don't think we have a midweek game after the first week of the season until December. I think it might be the 19th of December, something like that. So to, to go from like Saturday, Saturday, all the way through to December is just something that us as Leeds fans are not used to. We're used to that. Saturday, Tuesday, Wednesday, then a random Wednesday in London, then a Saturday. It's just crazy how different the leagues are, which I think will benefit the small squad that obviously Marcelo likes to run with. But it's what you want as well, isn't it, Liam? It's like when you think of football, you don't think of Tuesday nights, you don't think of Wednesday nights. For me, I just think Saturday, 3 p.m. kickoff, like, and I love that. And yeah, don't get me wrong, the added games, you want to see your team play as many games as possible. But if we can perform week in, week out with that rest period, you know, we work at such a high intensity that, you know, it's natural that the, the, the squad's going to fatigue, especially toward the, the latter end of the season. But with less games, it's going to only improve us. And this is why I think we'll do really well this year. Yeah, definitely. Um, before we move on to talk about maybe some transfers and what we expect from the rest of the window, just a quick word. What are your thoughts on uh, Mr Calvin Phillips? Obviously, again, his England call-up, uh, maybe even could play at the weekend. Depends what he does with Declan Rice, but... Yeah, I'm very happy for him. What, what are your thoughts? Yeah, first of all, mate, I'm I'm happy for him and his family. You know, they've been so loyal to Leeds. You know, in the, in, in the Amazon documentary, I think he was talking about Huddersfield and other clubs approaching him, but he wanted to stay with Leeds. He loved Leeds. And, you know, last year, you know, me and you spoke about it plenty of times. There was Villa, there was, there was Manchester United, there was Liverpool keeping tabs, there was Spurs who actually made a solidified offer, apparently. So there were all these options for him to leave and, and we've seen many um, local you know, lads leave over, over years gone by and Calvin didn't and he stuck loyal and he stuck strong because he believed in the project and he believed in, in everything that was circulating around Leeds last year and, and I think that, that, that trust has been given back to him now because straight away he's not kicked a ball in the Premier League. But straight away, you can, you know, Southgate, Southgate, Southgate had been watching him all year and he'd have wanted to put him in in random games last year, but it's difficult for him to do so when, you know, you're leaving out Premier League players like Grealish, but you're putting in someone like Calvin Phillips. Um, but I think it's truly, truly an amazing achievement. It's great to see a player, a Leeds player back in the England squad. It's going to make my interest for the national side peak as well, Liam, because it's not been there because, you know, don't get me wrong, I am, I'm, I'm very you know passionate about the national side, but when it comes to Leeds players being involved, I will take more of an interest, hence why I'm watching Germany-Spain tonight um, to Rodrigo and, and Koch. But yeah, brilliant achievement for Calvin, thoroughly deserved. And um, if people are still turning around and saying, ah, he doesn't deserve it, he doesn't, you know, he's a championship player, he's not kicked the ball, just wait and watch. 
just wait and watch. That's all I'm going to say because you know you'll see. You know you'll see how good this kid is. Yeah, especially in a position where England are definitely not blessed with options, are they? And that holding midfield role that can spray passes out that Southgate wants. I think Calvin is a is the perfect player, and it's been to be honest mind numbing for me to see how many Villa fans that have were annoyed originally. I know obviously Grealish is in now, but originally saying, oh, I can't believe Phillips is selected over Jack Grealish. It's like, well, no, <laughs> Phillips is not selected over Jack Grealish. He's selected over like a chowdery, you know, someone who plays holding mid. Just, I found that a bit mind-numbing that the media and some Villa fans couldn't see the difference. <laughs> no, it's, 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 a completely, it's a completely null and void argument. They don't play in the same position. It's just the fact that he's, he's a championship player and he's not kicked the ball in the Premier League versus Jack Grealish, who's done this, that and the other. Now, now don't get me wrong. Jack Grealish is a fantastic player. He had a brilliant first season, and I still don't think Villa would be in the Premier League if it wasn't for Jack Grealish. If you, you know, if you cast your mind back, Jack Grealish was the one who came in in the January February time when they were on that champ. After we'd been there and beat them three two, and Villa were in fourteenth, fifteenth. Grealish came back, and I think they won about ninety eight percent of the remaining games. So, so he's the difference maker. So. He, did he deserve a call-up? Of course he did. But did Calvin deserve a call-up? Of course he did. He's playing under the best coach in the world. Southgate, Southgate wants to mirror that style of football where it's passing out from the back, potentially a three at the back, potentially, you know, all these sort of options that Calvin can fill in as, as, as a set-back. He can play just in front of that back line as well. He just fits the system perfectly. And, and I'm telling you, Southgate have been itching to get him in that national side for a long time now. Yeah, do you think he's got a chance of playing against Iceland on Saturday? Or you think they might bring him off the bench maybe in the second game and bed him in a bit slower? Yeah, I think so. I think he's going to be bedded in. Um, you know, hellfire and fury if he wants to see it. You know, I mean, I mean, Calvin's been playing murder ball for the best part of two years. <laughs> so I think his adaptation skills are pretty, uh, pretty top stuff. Um, so I think, you know, if, if, he, if you've shoved him in, he'd still be absolutely brilliant. But at the same time, he's got, as well, Liam, you know, if he can benefit from an extra week week's worth of training, then... That's only gonna. That's only gonna make Calvin sort of, you know, adapt to the England setup a, a lot better because there it's it's a very different. It'll be as as much as I've just said. Southgate style of football is similar. It, it, it's it's not on the same sort of projection as Bielsa's, and there's a lot of different players with a lot of different needs and a lot, a lot of different capabilities as well. So it's going to be a big sort of test for Calvin. But I, I thoroughly expect him to step up. But yeah, I think the first game. He's going to be sort of maybe brought on, but I think it's going to be the second game where he, where he will sort of hopefully make his mark. Yeah, I think it was very telling in the interview that he did yesterday, where they they compared the they asked him how training was, uh, and he said, "Our oh, leads is very different. We do a lot more running and a lot more tactical work," which I found obviously interesting. That he highlighted that in an England team, which is obviously the cream of the, like top of the top of the world in terms of football now. Um, they're not doing as much tactical work as Marcelo, which I just found very telling the way the way that our, our boys prepare. No, does anyone, Liam? You know, does anyone uh, sort of prepare? I, th- I think if you've got Guardiola, you know, uh, next to Bielsa, I think Bielsa, uh, Guardiola's even alluded to it as well. He said, look, this guy's a, he's an absolute genius and what he does, he goes above and beyond. He's, he's you know, he's he's just a mastermind, and I think I think it is one of those things where people are going to take note of him next year. I really do, and then the media will shroud around it. But it does not surprise me at all that Leeds put in more preparation than England. It's crazy to say, but it just does not surprise me with that man. You forget, you know, as well, he was the manager of the Argentinian national team and the Chilean national team. So you know, he's taken all those experiences as Bielsa and sort of compartmentalised it into a, an incredible training regime. 
Yeah, definitely. And I think obviously getting players like Calvin super fit, because I think a lot of Leeds fans kind of forget that he's been injured now for nearly eight weeks. But he's still fit enough to have two weeks pre-season with Leeds and then go away to England and be involved in all the sessions. I just think that tells a lot about the base level of fitness that we start with. Um, but are you worried at all with the obviously the small gap between games that someone like Calvin maybe and like Liam Cooper has gone away as well, who's had obviously injury problems. Are you worried at all about the gap being so small between the internationals and the, the start of the season for those two? Yeah, I mean, I think we're talking about off-air as well. I think Dallas, is, he's not happy with it, is he? I think he's come out and said that he's, you know, even just the prep for the new signings, it's, it's not enough with an international break in here. And it's interesting hearing Dallas say that, obviously, because he is, you know, so he's so um, patriotic and, you know, Northern Ireland is sort of, you know, he's very hyped on playing for them, which, you know, but he understands as well that getting into a Premier League season is, is probably going to be the biggest point of his career. So, yeah, I mean, the gap's not ideal. But the thing is, mate, we just can't do it. We can't do anything about it, can we? I mean, we've got to roll with the punches. All the other teams have been dealt the same hand. Um, I think the, the frustrating thing is for me is just the, the, the transfer window and the fact we've been out of this division now for near on two decades. And we've just we've not had a proper transfer window. And it's just going to sort of intermingle with the start of the, the, the Premier League season, which ugh, you, you, you just don't know what's going to happen, do you? But yeah, I mean, it's not ideal, but we've just got to roll with it, haven't we, mate? Yeah, definitely. I think that's a perfect link to go on to talk about the transfers. Um, and I agree. I think we had nine days between where our season ended and where the players then would come back for any transfers. But obviously, someone like Marcelo needs a break himself as well. So you can't just go straight into signing four or five players the week after when you've done no prep. Yeah. I think any fans that wanted that at the time were a little bit unrealistic. And then the other issue, obviously, the window, I think we were talking off air, I don't think it ends till the end of October. So you're knocking on, what, six, seven games into the season, potentially, before if you sign someone that late that could play. And I don't think for a team like us, that obviously have a small squad and need to do business compared to these huge Premier League squads. I don't think that's an ideal preparation, but you know what Marcel is like, he'll just chuck whatever kid in he wants and we'll just roll with the punches. That's it, yeah. I'm sure Strike's going to be up front or something like that. <laughs> yeah, Strike on the left. Um, cool, all right. So we're going to talk about uh, current transfers. Um, we've obviously done the converted the loan to buys that everyone knows about in terms of Melier, Costa and obviously Harrison for 12 months' time. Um, what were your initial thoughts on, on that business? Were you happy that we delayed Harrison for a year just to kind of spread the money around for the first transfer window? Um, initially, no, because I was a little bit like, right, OK, um, it would be nice to have him on the books now. I mean, you know, he's still not a Leeds player somehow. But yeah, do I think that's going to get done in the future? Of course I do. Um, you know, I don't know if it's an option or an obligation, but, you know, if it is an option and Jack does acquire interest next year, if he has, you know, he's on a global stage now, um, you know, he's on the biggest stage in the world. So if he does have a really good season, my only stipulation with that bit of business would be the fact that, he could attract interest from bigger clubs. You know, could we have tied him down? Yeah. But at the same time, like you just said, I mean, financially, we need to spread the money around. This is this is the biggest this is the biggest window we're going to have in in a long, long time. And Leeds have got to spread the wealth um, meticulously. And, and if Jack is a loan to buy, hopefully, um, and there's an obligation in there. But that's that's you know that's absolutely fine by me. Yeah, I think Phil reported it was a 10 million obligation as well. So even though it's gone up from the six, seven, eight that we believed it would be this year, I think 10 million for someone of that age, if he does kick on in the Premier League, it's kind of chump change, isn't it, for an English player nowadays? Yeah, so it's just nothing, is it? It's like, you know, it's, um, I mean, you're expecting sort of 20, 25 million, but I think Pep's done us a solid there. You can see where, 
he's going to improve in his career as well. And uh, he's never going to, unfortunately, I don't think Jack's ever going to break into that City team. Um, I think you're not, you're not going to see many youth products break into that City team apart from Phil Foden. No, definitely not. And speaking of youth products, um, obviously Meslier got called up for the under-21s as well. Uh, I think four or five million, I think it was, for him up front. I think that's an insane bit of business, isn't it? I think he looks like a true Premier League number one with his size and obviously how, how well he suits our style. I was really impressed that we managed to get that over the line. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, I'd agree with that. I think um, we saw it against Arsenal. You know, he just you have more time on the ball. There's not as much physicality. Um, you know, in terms of just, oh, let's get the ball on the keeper. In the Premier League, there's a lot of short corners. There's a lot of sort of spraying it out to the edge of the boxes. It's not all, you know, Cardiff and Millwall and Borough, all these big sort of, you know, setbacks trying to you know, boulder him over. And he was sort of, he was sort of, probably sort of a, a little bit surprised with that. But we've got to ch- take our championship mindsets off this. You know, this guy is a French under-21 international. He'll go into the French national team, the first team for me at some point in his career. And he, you know, he's already played at the top level with Lorient. So it is, it is one of those where I've got to take note and think that at this, at this level, at the top level in the first tier, I think stylistically he is matched up to be absolutely insane in this division. He's, he's what he is, Liam. Is he's the natural? I did a podcast with an ex-goalkeeper called Richard Lee, and he was saying the progression of goalkeepers is now it's a necessity to be a, a ball-playing uh, goalkeeper. It's a necessity. All all goalkeepers who just put it out, they're a dying breed. They have to be able to pass with the feet. And Melier is just an, an extremely good um, indication of the, uh, of the modern goalkeeper. And I think it's, uh, what is he twenty twenty one to get a deal underway for five million? I think it's an absolute snip. Yeah, I think he's 20 as well. And obviously his physical attributes as well are perfect for the goalkeeper position. You don't see many six foot five lads being able to kick the ball with their feet that play centre-half as well as him playing in goal. Um, and I think also it's kind of a big indication. We we kind of heard a lot of paper talk, didn't we, about certain goalkeepers being linked. But Phil kind of never really said that there was any strong links. And I think that's because Marcelo would have sat down and saw and said, we've already got this keeper that we need to mould into our number one. We don't want him sat on the bench not playing. I think that's been quite important for our, our transfer policy so far in the window. Yeah, and it'll be interesting to see what they do with the goalkeeper. I'm probably, you know, a little bit of a staunch advocate of getting someone in just with a little bit of experience. But, you know, I don't know. I don't know whether or not he's... I, you know, I mean, I was the one who was turning around last year with Ben White and saying, look, we can't go in with a, a kid at centre-back, this, that and the other. So you've just got to trust in the process, trust in the board and trust in Bielsa. Um you know, above all, and if he believes that Melier can cut it, let's not let, let's not beat around the bush here. This is a manager who's obviously done it on the international stage, done it in La Liga, done it in Serie A, done it in Liga. You know, he's done it everywhere in every top league in in Europe, essentially the top top leagues. So he knows exactly what is going to be happening in the Premier League and what to expect. So if he thinks Melier can cope, and um, you know, we can just have someone like Alaya Capriel as number two, then that's fine. Yeah, I completely agree. Um, and after their, their loan to buys, obviously we saw a lot of focus on the under-23s. I, know, I don't know if you, you saw it as much as me, but every time Leeds put a tweet out that wasn't a signing, we were seeing people say, sign players, sign players, sign players. And the club kind of almost just moved on. We're just like, oh, we're just going to flood the under-23s first. Um, and obviously we signed probably four main under-23 players. What was your, your favourite signing of that group between Drama, Geldhart, Allen and Greenwood? And did anyone stand out more than the others? Yeah, Gelhard for me. Um, you know, he, he just looks there's something about him. I don't know what it is. Probably the fact that he's got the same stature as as Arnold Schwarzenegger in a football shirt. Um, 
He is, yeah. I mean, it's an absolute physical specimen. I don't think he'll be looking like that very soon, if I'm honest. <laughs> I think he was blowing in some of the videos they put up, wasn't he, in the club pre-season? He looked knackered. Yeah, I think he's going to have to rinse out that T-shirt a couple of times in some of the sprints. Um, but, uh, yeah, I think I think it was a really exciting signing. But it's going to be interesting because Geldart has sort of built his, built his young career on being that physical presence and being that sort of combative player. So it's going to be really interesting to see whether or not that sort of completely... Um, is taken away from his physicality. Obviously, we know with Calvin, it's not been taken away at all, um, you know, because he's got that broad frame. But I think with Geldhide, you've seen something similar. And obviously, Phil alluded to uh, them already being extremely, extremely impressed by him in training. So he's, he's just that next level youngster. There's a lot of clubs interested in him as well. And Leeds managed to get that one underway for, for only one million. And, and with all these under 23 signings, what it means, Liam, is the fact that Leeds aren't just. We're not just throwing money at, uh, you know, throwing mud and hoping it sticks this year. What we're doing is we're building solid foundations for a future plan, you know, a future leads and a future leads in the Premier League. And I think Geldar, obviously Drama, Greenwood are just illustrations of that now Tier One academy, which needs to be constantly in progression for us to, um, you know, we've always been that club who have been excellent with youth products, and I think in the Premier League that can't. That can't just go uh, by the wayside. We've got to keep that up. And I think that's going to see us being a sustainable club in the top division for a long time. Yeah, I think you see a lot of premiership clubs, don't you, that are not quite that top, top tier, that use the youth, obviously, to generate players, but also to generate income. If you sign a player for a million quid from, I don't know, another youth team, then sell him for five, six million to a championship team three years later, yes, he's not broken into your team as such, but you've made that money on him, which I just think, smaller clubs even though I know we're a big club but anyone outside that top six they need to generate as much income as they can oh yeah exactly yeah I mean we sort of, sort of Chelsea didn't we for a number of years of them just sort of like having a youth academy to sell the players on but Leeds you know obviously that's going to be in the back of our head you know market value is obviously key but at the same time you've also got to be able to sort of blood some of these youngsters into the starting lineup because I mean, you know, we've done it for so many years now, you know, Byron, Cook, uh, Taylor, et cetera, et cetera. And, and I think these players have, have kept us afloat and, and they've always been a big part of Leeds United youth products, even back to the Don Revy era. So I think we've just got to keep that up and, and, and you know, if we can blood some of these kids in, especially someone like Drama, who, who looks very, very good as well. Um, he could, he, with drama in the side, this could, you know, we could obviously switch up the formation as well. You could get Ailing going to different positions. And once again, so many clubs in for his signature. And, and you can be rest assured as well, if we'd have stayed in the Championship, none of this youth business would have been able to get done because of the, you know, the amount of clubs that were in for these these players. So, yeah, it's a really good, it was a really good start to the window for me. I know there's a lot of flapping, but you know, like you've said, and me, me, you know, me and you've said off there, mate, this window goes on till October, so we've still got a bit of time left. Yeah, and I think that the Cody Drama one was kind of a bit overlooked. I know everyone thought about Geldhart because he was kind of the first signing. Allen, we kind of knew was going to happen anyway. And Greenwood obviously comes with huge pedigree from Arsenal, but Cody Drama, I think, has a real chance of contributing. Everything you read is that they see him as an under-23 player who can come into the first team if he needs to be. And if we don't sign an extra centre-back, which we'll go and talk about later, I think you're right that we could see someone like an Ailing playing more time at centre-back or switching to a back three. And Cody Drama, apparently physically, the way he performs as like a right-back, right-centre-back would be perfect for the system. So I think that we could actually see him playing some part, which could be interesting. 
Yeah, definitely, hundred um, percent. And obviously, he made like what seventeen appearances for Fulham's under twenty threes in the in the Premier League two last season or something. Um, yeah. Sent in England as well, under 18s level. So it's 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 one of these once again meticulous um, meticulous signings that Leeds have made that um, we'll have been we'll have been looking at for for about a year now. We'll have known about him and we'll have scouted him numerous times. And let's let's not beat around the bush here. Fulham offered him a new contract. Fulham, by the way, who were also a Premier League club. Um, yeah. so, so, you know, Leeds getting a lad, obviously, seven, I think he's got seven assists as well in 17 games or something ridiculous like that last year. And you can only play at the level that you played at. So, you know, if he's brought in, it's going to be really exciting to see him. And this is it. It's not just about Robin. It's not just about, um, it's not just about Rodrigo or, or whoever else we bring in. It is about the kids as well, because if they can have, an impact on this season. It's going to look like a lot of shrewd business by by Leeds United, Victor Orta and obviously Marcelo Bielsa. Yeah, I was going to say, he was going to ask you next about the uh, the two major signings. Um, the 40 million Saturday is just now getting drubbed us. <laughs> um, what were your thoughts when obviously the links came out a couple of days earlier for the Rodrigo signing, first of all? Um, it was very quick, especially for Leeds United. We're kind of used to in the in the Radrazani era of transfers dragging on for two, three, four weeks and us having, oh yeah, the deal's nearly done, the deal's nearly done. But this Rodrigo deal, the, the cost deal on Saturday, just flew by. Yeah, it really did, didn't it? And, and it just it just shows sort of how quick that deal was done. I think that the club were reporting, or even Rodrigo himself said that it was a two-week span and Leeds were in contact. So we clearly got that one underway very, very quickly, talks. And yeah, to get someone like him, mate, if his pedigree and, you know, I mean, you look at him tonight, he's playing Germany, he's starting... Starting number nine, he plays, you know, the way Luis Enrique wants to play. So, you know, he, he, I think he's got more appearances in the past three years or two, two or three years than any other Spanish centre forward. So, you know, we can all wax, we can all talk about his, his, his record last year. But let's, let's, let's make no bones about it. This is a guy who last year, before the season started, this guy was essentially an Atletico Madrid player for 60 million euros. Um, he was essentially signed, sealed and delivered. So he had to go back into that. Valencia, you know, lineup. Not, you know, said bye to his teammates as well. Marcelino, obviously, the Valencia coach left as well, where he'd been absolutely lethal in seasons gone by. So yeah, his head wasn't in it last year, and you know, that's just a little bit of an elaboration on on the player that is Rodrigo. Um, you know, six Champions League appearances, two goals, two assists. This guy is serious pedigree, and and to, you know, I always use the word on him for swing versatility, and he, he can play anywhere along that front line, and, and that's just absolutely pivotal in this Marcelo Bielsa system with a small squad and, and having players who can play anywhere. And, and I think the big impact is going to be on some on players like uh, Patrick Bamford. You know, if Leeds are to revert to a two up front, I know Rodrigo's played in a two often in his career, more than often. So I don't know whether or not that's going to enable Leeds to switch it up. And I think Patrick Bamford's only going to be a beneficiary of, of his quality. Yeah, that was going to be my next question. I was going to say, where, where do you see him fitting in? Um, obviously, does it depend... I know it depends on the system we go with, but do you think that we've signed him more as the, the true number nine? And obviously we know Patrick Bamford will start the season regardless. That's just the way Bielsa works. But do you see Rodrigo as that number nine or do you see him more as a versatile 10 second striker or maybe even coming on on the right? It's going to be an interesting one, this, because I don't think, you know, we've, we've had it before where a lot of, a lot of you know, we've had signings come in, Eddie Nketiah, JKA, you know, Izzy Brown being the main one. And, Fans have always seen that, you know, Bielsa's stubborn, he never changes. But at the same time, have we ever been in a position where Leeds have gone out and spent, you know, 27, 29 million, whatever, whatever it was, on a player 
and we've been able to see that individual just stay, stay on the bench. You know, is that something that is going to happen? I don't know. I've no idea. But for all we know, Rodrigo could start the season as number nine and Bamford could be on the bench. It could, yeah, it could, don't get me wrong, it's probably unlikely. But with the way Bielsa works, we just don't know. We know how spontaneous he is and we've never had the luxury of having these sort of quality of players in the squad. So Bielsa could just do a complete, you know, 180. So, well, 360 really, isn't it? And, and stick, him in, stick him in the squad. Um, we don't know, but... My initial thoughts were um, I was I was I was ecstatic really. I think he's a, he's a, as I've said at signing with real pedigree. But I see him to be honest, Liam. I see him sort of slotting into an inside forward role. Um, I can see someone like Helder Costa actually uh, hitting the bench again, which is it's going to be a bit you know uh, you know bad for Costa I, I think because you know that that's exactly what happened to him at Wolves. He got to the Premier League and then he was sidelined. Um, but I can see him playing more of an inside forward role. And I know predominantly he's played as a number nine. But if I'm to look at look at it holistically and to, to take a realistic approach, I don't think he's going to take Bamford out. So I think Costa's just going to have to come out. Yeah, I think that could be the way we see him getting the team initially, unless, like you said, we change system, um, which Marcelo has done. He's got a few systems that he hasn't used as much with us that, that he could do. But I think long term, I can if Bamford struggles scoring goals in the first few months of the season, I think Rodrigo will take over that role. But yeah, we all know how much he loves Paddy Bamford's energy and what he does off the ball. So that, that might be hard hard to, for Rodrigo to replace. Um, and what about um, Mr. Robin Koch then? Obviously, we all wanted Ben White. Uh, he just signed a new deal with Brighton. I think it was a four-year deal. Um, and Robin is the man to replace him at under half the cost, which I find incredibly impressive for a German international. Yeah, it's staggering. Um, you know, he was part of a defensive line as well, which which led Freiburg to eighth, a very, very good position for Freiburg to finish. And um, yeah, I mean, I think he gained something like 20,000 followers in, in a weekend, didn't he? Um, yeah. But, but yeah, he's, he's, he just looks absolutely exceptional. He looks the exact same as what Ben White was, but he's done it at a higher level and he's done it on the international stage as well. And he's firmly part of Joachim Lowe's plans alongside you know, Nicolas Erler as well in, in the German setup. So this is a guy with serious pedigree. This is a guy who is just going to get better and better and better. And, you know, uh, yeah, I think you can always judge players' um, pedigree at previous clubs by fans' reactions. And they were all absolutely gutted at Rodrigo going. A lot of them held him uh, in, 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 in the highest regard at the squad alongside, you know, uh, Gaia. But a lot of them rated him as the best player in the squad. And, and, and Robin as well was, was, was so highly rated by Freiburg. You know, even I think the, the, the club actually commented on the, you know, Twitter commented on the, um, on the Leeds post and said, please take good care of him. So, you know, all the fans' reactions were really gutted as well, but they knew he was going to move on. So this is, this is what sort of player we're, we're capturing. And like you said, Liam, for maybe not even half the price, mate. Maybe because I don't know how far Brighton would have would, would have driven us up in terms of price. I think it would have been 35, 40, potentially even higher. So, you know, to get him for what, 13 million, it's almost a third, or it is a third. So yeah, yeah I think the business and, and 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 this is why you know you have to go to the continent sometimes to get value for players. Yeah, and I think something that we spoke off uh, spoke about a lot last year as well was uh, set pieces and crosses. Uh, obviously, Cooper was what kind of our only dominant aerial player. And Ben White was an insane player. He's probably the best centre-back I've seen play for us since probably Rio. Um, but obviously, he does lack in height. And Robin Koch is six foot three, going on six foot four. And his aerial duels that he wins last year in, in the Bundesliga, I think was the only third in the league. 
So I think that adds another dimension that kind of some of our fans haven't really realised in terms of the pure size of him as well. He's a bit of an athlete. Yeah, of course, mate. Don't you know? Don't sleep on Rodrigo as well. Rodrigo, you know, a six foot one winger. Um, scored plenty of headed goals as well. You know, if you look at his compilations online, or if you've seen Rodrigo, he's got a cracking jump on him. Um, so he's going to give us another dimension. You know, not only from offensive uh, positions, but also defensive positions. You know, Leeds have always been sort of a team. Um, well, this season, who you know, an op- if an opposition has got a corner. You do feel a little bit nervous just in terms of height, in terms of personnel we've had in goal, um, and and um, I, I just think I just think it's it's now we've just got we've got more height, we've got more aggression, and it's only going to help our, our counter attacking as well. You know, if you've got someone like Robin who can get the ball and and you know from corners we can knock it out, and then you know we can advance quickly. Honestly, mate, I think I think that it's that, that we couldn't have asked for two better signings in those in those positions, and I, I could even go as far as saying Robin is 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 a better addition than Ben White, and that's purely on experience. That's purely on the fact he's in the German national team already, um, and he's played at that, like I've just said, that high level already, and there's not going to be an, an adaptation to that, you know, because because it's not only. I remember last season. Ben had to learn a lot from Liam Cooper. Now, this year, Cooper's going to have to learn a lot from Robin because Robin's played at that top level. And I think if you had two centre-backs coming into this division who were going to have to adapt to that top level instantaneously away at the, you know, the best team in the league, I think we might have struggled. Yeah, and I think even the small factor that obviously he knows Matea um, Click as well from his time at Kaiserslautern. And he speaks very good English as well, like things like that. The little things that people don't realise in a signing that just tips it over the edge. And to get someone like that for 13 million, I just think that's an impressive bit of business. And like you said with Rodrigo, versatility is key, isn't it, for Marcelo? And um, we all know that Robin can play CDM. I think every game after lockdown, because of injuries, he, he was forced into a CDM role. And we all know that how many times has Calvin been suspended or injured and we've kind of had to mismatch that, that number four position. To add someone in who can help out there as well, I think just strengthens the squad further, which is good. Yeah, no, definitely. And I think I think I think the fact that he can play CDM, like you just said, I think he played numerous games there as well in his tenure at Freiburg. Um so yeah, brilliant signing, mate. I'm really happy with the two and hopefully we can just progress on that. Yeah, I was gonna say those two are obviously the main two we've seen so far, and the club kind of touted out four or five originally. Uh, let's just go on. So who do you think we need in terms of positions then, first of all? What sort of areas do you want to see us strengthen going forward and for the rest of the window? Uh, I mean, there's, there's, I mean, to be honest, Liam, there's, there's, there's realism here, which I need to, to, to bring into you know, my, my thoughts. But where do I think we need to strengthen? I think I, I would go for a goalkeeper. I don't know if you're of the same ilk, but I would also go for a separate attacking midfielder. Um, and, and there's been rumblings from the club, hasn't there, of, of, of interest in, in left-backs, so, I, I, God, I, I don't know. And when I say rumblings from the club there, by the way, I just say some sources, um, which, yeah, I mean, there are plenty of sources out there now. So whether or not that's true or not, I don't know. But um, I would be looking at a goalkeeper and a CAM, and I think I would be absolutely happy with that. Yeah, I completely agree with both those positions. I think our issue, as we were speaking off, off air, is we need a goalkeeper, but we've got one sat on the bench that, in the championship is getting paid rumours are around £50,000 a week you can only imagine there was a promotion bonus in there in terms of salary and I think getting Kiko off the books is going to be near on impossible we've heard hardly any rumours have we all summer about someone coming in for him and I think we need another goalkeeper I think I don't think Kiko's right for the for the club and the team anymore but 
I think getting rid of his wages to bring one in, I think it's going to be near on impossible. Yeah, it's going to be really, really tough. Um, you're just hoping it's not going to be one of those things where he's going to have to run his contract down um, or, or, you know, the sort of termination on both sides. But I don't see why Kiko would do that if he's not going to a different club and been offered a new contract. He's not just going to terminate his own contract or, you know, come to some sort of financial agreement. Or maybe he will, I don't know. But, yeah, I think... It, it, you know, just on a footballing level, mate. You know, this is this is this is how the, the world of football works. If a goalkeeper, a goalkeeper, naturally for me is the most important position in the squad. It builds confidence. It breeds confidence as well. Um, not only in the defensive line, but in the entire team. And once again, we've even seen you know in pre-season friendly. I'm not even going plural there. It's not friendlies where he's played. He's played one game, and already he's once again replicating the exact same. Um, sort of mishaps that that led him in a footballing sense to be criticised by a lot of fans, and, and this just isn't going from his game. You know, getting to I keep saying it, the 33 years of age and not being able to judge the flight of the ball, it's not it's not good. And, and you know what he's done with himself, what he's done with him is is, is um, his period at Leeds, Liam is. He hasn't given himself a good CV. You know, you go into any any job and you pass two years. In, in your previous job, they're looked they're looked upon by the next job. Now, Kiko Casilla is what thirty three years of age. He's not done himself any favors in these past two years at all. And, and, and clubs around Europe will know that. <laughs> and to take a chance on someone at what forty forty five grand a week with those mistakes in his locker, I mean it's good. Yeah, I mean it's going to be extremely tough for Leeds United to get him off the books. Yeah, and I think even having him on the bench for Leeds could. Could could not happen. Might not happen this season. It could get to a point where he's more of a distraction than a positive note for the team. Because obviously, every time he's mentioned on a team sheet, it, the the issues of obviously his personal issues that he's had last season with the racism charge just come up every time. And I wonder if we get to a point where the club just don't even want that. And to have someone on forty to fifty grand a week, not even in your squad, I just think they need to try and find a way out of that. That's why I'm not sure the links to Martinez or Romero, who I know has obviously been linked with Aston Villa today. Um, I don't think, think they'll, they'll come to fruition because I just think we're going to struggle and I think we could see Kiko maybe having to leave on a free or something in January, which I know the club will be delighted at just to, just to get him off the wage bill. Um, and right, in terms of a cam then, obviously Mr. Rodrigo de Paul, Rodrigo II, uh, heavily linked. What an insane link that is, mate. I, I couldn't believe it when I first saw it. I thought it was a joke. I thought it was a, a typical ITK fake rumour, but according to Phil, the serious interest and he's yeah, he's really considering coming. Yeah, I mean, I've just yeah, I've seen a couple of tweets there. Apparently, uh, you know, all this rumours and once again, classic, you know, Leeds are originally interested, then several other clubs come in. But apparently, you know, AC Milan's ears have been perked up and Napoli. So it's all going to depend. And, you know, let's not get too excited. But, you know, if this guy, if this guy would, uh, yeah, it sounds like his preference from what we've heard is Juve. But we don't know that, you know, we don't know that if that, if that is the case. But, Napoli and AC Milan, obviously two huge clubs for Leeds to potentially compete with. But Marcelo Bielsa is Argentinian. You know, Rodrigo de Paul is Argentinian. So we've got that connection. We've got that link. We've got that, you know, it's, it's a massive thing for any player, as we've seen with Robin as, and as we've seen with Rodrigo. But the fact that de Paul is Argentinian, it's, uh, it's it should be a bigger thing for me. And, and hopefully, you know, I saw earlier that Leeds are apparently working extremely hard on the deal. So... You're just hoping that he's going to, as you said before, mate, come to fruition. And what a player. I mean, I, I saw him. I, the only time I've, I've seen him play live was when the Roma played Udinese. And I believe Udinese won the game 2-0.
but he was just outstanding. He ran the game. He completely ran Roma ragged. They couldn't they couldn't track him. He was he was taking them left, right. You know, he was what he was an incredible performance. I think he got man of the match. And another point to bring to that man of the match thing as well, he has got the second most man of the matches in Serie A last season behind one Cristiano Ronaldo. <laughs> yeah, I read that. He's got the second most man of matches and the second amount of um, contribution to goals, whether it's goals and assists in, like, in the last two years. Mate, he's averaging something like eight. I think it's, his average rating is eight set on, which is incredible. That is incredible, yeah. Notoriously harsh ratings as well, normally, across that division. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think he's perfect for our system as well because he is a 10, but he's like an 8 slash 10, isn't he? Not to be harsh on Matea Click, but he's like an 8 10, but way better <laughs> the way he plays, I think. Yeah, very, very, very big signing. Yeah, mate, we can wax lyrical, of course, we can about our current players. And our current players are going to do extremely well in this division for me. But someone like him is the next level. You get next levels in football, that's just how life works. You know, we can't have our blinkered glasses on here. And this guy is next level. He's a terrific, terrific player. And reminds me a lot of sort of Samuel Saiz in terms of his low centre of gravity, his balance, his coordination, how he can go left, right. But what, like you've just said, mate, that added factor that he's got is the fact that he, his work ethic is absolutely through the roof. And uh, it literally is. If, if, you know, if we, Rodrigo, Robin Koch and, and um, Rodrigo de Paul, it would literally be the perfect window, um, aside from, for me, a goalkeeper, which is notoriously going to be quite difficult, but it would be the perfect three and the perfect window. It would just be set up for the Premier League in in the way that we all wanted it to be. Yeah, the pool's so good that almost if that deal gets over the line, touch wood, you'd look at it and be like, he's actually an even much better signing than Rodrigo and Kosh. And like to say that is <laughs> insane for a team like us, obviously just coming up. But um, if we can't get the pool over the line, do you have any other names? Obviously, I saw your video you mentioned. Um, Barisic, is it, from Rangers? I think it's more of a left-back, left-winger, is that right? Yeah, Barisic, yeah, he's a, he's a, he's a left-back. I mean, I think I think from some reports that we, you know, I think there's some like the Glasgow Times that were Leeds have actually gone in with an £8 million bid and uh, that were, apparently that was rejected. But, yeah, to be honest, mate, I mean, I don't really know if you classify him as a, a winger or a cam, but it would be, of course, it would be underwhelming and I do still think there's going to be more targets for Leeds on the continent. I genuinely do, I think... You know, if we don't get to Paul, they're going to have someone lined up. I'm certain of it from the continent. But, you know, from the names we know now, I would go for Ryan Kent. And a lot of people have disagreed. And I, I, listen, I get that. But I just think he's a fantastic player. I think he fit in. It was, you know, we've notoriously been in for him last year. Bielsa loved him. Um, and, and, and obviously, I believe it was Orta, actually, who saw that. From the report I read, it was Orta who turned around and said, look, we need another attacker and went for Nketiah. But Kent was rumoured so highly last year, and Phil confirmed it as well that Bielsa loved him. He can once again could go left, right. He's extremely quick. Um, he's direct, which I love. You don't get many players nowadays who, who, who get the ball on the back foot, open the body up, and just run at the, at the centre backs. And, and Kent does that extremely well. He's a grafter. He's worked with winners in Gerard and Klopp, and I just think he'd, he'd genuinely fit into our squad so so well. And uh, once again, mate obviously an English speaker and um, yeah I think I think under Bielsa he, that, that kid has got so much potential and it's been harnessed a little bit but I think him coming into this lead side and learning off Pablo Hernandez I think 
it would just be the perfect concoction. But do I realistically think that's going to happen? Probably not, even though we've submitted a bid. I still think we're going to have targets on the continent, even if DePaul doesn't work out. Yeah, this summer's kind of proved that whatever we think's going on, there's always little things in the background, isn't there? We've been linked with so many players this summer that haven't haven't come forward. And I think the difference between Kent and DePaul is probably 10, 15 million. So a lot of fans may be underwhelmed by the sign of Kent, but obviously it's value for money, isn't it? We're not going to spend 35 million on Kent like we are with DePaul. We're going to spend 15 to 18. But by the sounds of it, I think um, Stephen Cherard doesn't want to sell. So I think that could be a tricky deal to get over the line. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that's no, you bang on. I mean, I was I was hearing uh, even this, they've got obviously a couple of fan channels and articles, and they're saying they wouldn't even sell him for twenty million. You know, and that's a massive statement for an SPL side because obviously that sort of money is never really levelled in the in, in in the SPL. So it's that would uh, for me. Apparently, the board want to keep him as well. Gerard is he's he's, he's their best player by country mile, um, and apparently this year is the first year as well he's had a full preseason um, in his career which is staggering, I found. You know, always been sort of hampered with injuries. So this is his first campaign where he's had a full pre-season and apparently he looks absolutely full of life. So apparently the report's saying that he's unhappy at Rangers, but you just you, you can't see that anyway. He looks, he, looks, he looks very happy and he's playing well. So that's, that's what leads me to sort of think, you know, that there's, there's alternatives. What do you think, mate? Do you think there's, there's an alternative CAM you'd go for? Um, I think they're going to push very hard to DePaul for DePaul and it could get to a point where you're looking at the end of a window and you might be left with a Ryan Kent or with a loan um, I think that we don't need a 10 badly enough for them to try and do it like as soon as possible I think like we spoke about off air the, the window doesn't go on till, uh, doesn't stop until the end of October so I think they're going to try and push for DePaul as much as possible and I think I think Bielsa doesn't go off players and I think we've been linked with Ryan Kent three times now so I do think that he'll be the target that we could get over the line at the end of a window for a 15, 20, 25 million pound bid if if we don't get the pool personally. Yeah, and, and, and not only that, mate, but you've got to look at form as well. You know, if, if Leeds are in, you know, hopefully they're not, but, you know, if, if we're sort of in, not, not dire straits, but if the form isn't great at that moment in time, obviously the window will be going on during the season, that might force Leeds' hand a little bit. And similarly with Rangers, you know, Rangers might get into a position where they feel they need to add you know, two or three more players and, and maybe a Ryan Kent might have to vacate if, you know, Celtic come on. There's just so many, there's so many factors that are in place. Yeah, definitely. And in terms of the length of the window as well, do you think, do you think we need another centre-half in the window? Um, obviously, most people say we need one, but is it dramatic or do you think Marcelo's going to change his mind again and flip back to not wanting another centre-half? Yes, I do. I do. I think it's, uh, you know, I was talking about a goalkeeper and a cam before because, you know, I talked about realism. But, you know, this Kavadiol, the Croatian centre-back, I mean, I spoke to a Croatian scout and he said he's the best 18-year-old ability-wise he's ever seen come out of the Croatian network. So, I mean, that says a lot. Um, you know, we could get him for, what, 14 rising to 20 uh, euros, that is. And once again, he just fits the mould, looks like a, an extremely impressive player. And there's always been talk of... of of a replacement for Liam, you know, Cooper, if he does get injured, you know, he's been through a couple of seasons now. And and the issue is, I think now, obviously, with Berardi being out of the plans, you know, you know, last season, we essentially had more depth, you know, but now we've got less depth at centre-back, you know, with Koch, obviously, Strike and, um, and Liam Cooper, you know, we've got Ollie Casey, Cresswell um, in the background. But for me, in, in the Marcelo Bielsa system, you have to have, two left-sided centre-backs. You just have to, because 
it's all about opening your body up and getting you know natural progression up the wings you know playing those crossfield balls from either side to obviously either either wing so i think that's just essential in how bielsa plays so um i think a left-sided player like gavardiol um i think that would be a, an idyllic signing really yeah i know there's been a lot made of his lack of first team appearances but everything you hear from top top level reporters and scouts is that he is a top talent and obviously left-footed, like you said, 18 years old. And he's not going to probably want to come in and start in the Premiership as well. You can't always just bring in every player that wants to play first-team football because we know Marcelo's not going to want to bed in five, six, seven players. But to have someone who might be more of a squad player, because apparently he can play left-back as well. I don't know if that, the Croatian reporter told you that as well, but rumours are he's quite a good left-back as well. So to get that extra option, I think, just adds more versatility to the squad. Yeah, that's it. He can. Yeah, that's exactly what the lad said. He can play anywhere across that back line. He's even had it. He's had even had to go at right back, but obviously it's, it's better on the left hand side. But um, yeah, I mean, there's been a lot of talk, mate, of Axel Twanzebe. I know Phil's mentioned it as well. There's somebody with a keen on issue with Twanzebe for me is he's he's far too injury prone. Technically, he's a brilliant player. Was excellent for Villa um, when he when he went there on loan. But the issue once again, it's going to be his market value. It's going to be extremely high and. Once again, going to the continent, I, I just feel is where you're going to get the most value for money. And with someone like Gavardiol, once again, top clubs been been interested, you know, interested in him as well. And uh, yeah, I mean, I would say I would actually probably come out and say that is a bit of a necessity actually, because I just think the depth in that area. Um, you know, we we saw a little bit of Oli Casey the other day, and and sort of a, a, an Oli Casey ailing partnership. You know, is that gonna is that gonna sort of be uh, is he going to be you know all the cases have no experience championship level and strike hasn't really you know only toward the end a little bit but do we need somebody else in there to, to back them up and is Twanzebe going to come in and just sit on the bench I don't think he will I think he needs that next career move now he can sit on the bench at, at, at Manchester United can't he yeah I agree I think he's going to be on high wages as well for someone of that age but I think if we don't get Gavardiol um, like you said I think we're going to have to try and target that last loan place uh, for the centre back, rather than spend another twenty, thirty million on someone to sit on the bench, I think, I think that could be quite key trying to use that last loan because we've only got Harrison so far, so we've got one to go. And I know we've been linked with Cabango as well. Whether that can be a loan to buy, I'm not sure. But obviously, again, no Premier League experience there. But I think for a third choice centre back, because we all know Cooper and Cox going to going to start, I think that Twanzebe or Cabango could be a good option. But like I said, I definitely prefer um, the lad from Croatia for sure. Yeah. No, definitely. Um, yeah, bang on, mate. I think I think you know if we can get him, he looks like a monster as well. He just looks like Kalasanac. <laughs> yeah, he does as well. Both left-footed. Both I think come from the same youth system as well. So, yeah, yeah good links there. Cool. All right. Well, I've got two questions to to end on um, for next season. Uh, question one was: Will we see a full Ellen Road during the twenty twenty one season? In your opinion? Oh God, great question. Um, no. I'm going to say no. Um, obviously, I'm not going to go too deep in on the uh, the old pandemic, but yeah, I think it's just going to be filtered in, mate. You know, they could we could be looking at a second spike at, at some point, and yeah, uh, it'd be interesting to see whether or not fans would want to go down as well. You know, obviously, you know, we want to go down. It's Premier League, but just just on a health basis, you know, with people sort of touch tight in in, in every single seat, and you know, what thirty five thousand people there. Um, yeah, I, I just I can't see it going through, mate. What do you think? Yeah, I can't see it as well. I think we can get maybe up to like a 50% mark that's been discussed in uh, some American sports and in the Bundesliga. I think it could get to that. But 
I don't know if you watched the Chelsea, uh, the Chelsea Brighton highlights, but they did a socially distanced three or four thousand, and it just doesn't look like certain Leeds fans are going to want to do. You all have to sit in a straight line. You can't sit with anyone either side of you. You can't celebrate. You can't sing. I just think it could almost watching it behind closed doors could be better than, than going to a game where you're not getting the, that full environment. What's the point? <laughs> what is the point? Yeah. It's just financial benefit, isn't it, I think, for clubs to, to still charge people that season ticket money. I think that's the only way I can see them getting away with it, to be honest. Yeah, no, exactly. But yeah, I think it's going to be a difficult one, mate, to transition that back in. Yeah, definitely, especially for fans like ours. Uh, and last question then, where will Leeds finish in, in their first season back in the Premiership? Not necessarily an exact finish, but can you see them being like, a, I don't know, top 10 team or... Just yeah. avoid relegation or straight back down. Hopefully not. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Liam, you've always known that I'm a massively positive fan. Um, but I think, I think, I think this is going to be a really good season. I think it's going to be a breakthrough season. I can see us doing a bit of a Wolves. I can see us doing a bit of a Sheffield United. I just, I cannot see. Uh, it's not even in my head relegation, which you know, you, you, you're probably quite surprised at that. I mean, would I take 17th right now? Of course, I would. But I've got bigger ambition, you know. If we, you know, finish seventeenth and beat Man United once, I'd be very happy with that. But I, I just see this side, this manager, you know, it's it just be. I think we've just got so much more to give than a lot of teams. You know, you look at that bottom ten. That bottom ten, it's not a good bottom ten. You know, from tenth to sort of twentieth, it's very average. And on our day, I always said this when we were in the championship. I think on our day, we could have beaten anyone over two legs. You know, I could see us beating. Spurs over two legs. I just it's the intensity of how we play, and I think a lot of teams are gonna like not expect what we're gonna deliver. You know, they're not gonna understand what happens when you play Leeds United, how much you have to run. I think you've got a lot of overpaid players up there who are not gonna want to run at the intensity to keep up with this Bielsa side, and you've got a hungry side now being together for the best part of some some of them three, four, five years. And they know the system, they know the patterns of play. So, mate, I'm going to go for a finish because I've got a video coming out on Saturday, which is essentially a table predictor, and I've gone with tenth. Ah, cool. Yeah, we've got I've got a podcast coming out on Monday, which is going to be a predictor as well. And I'm haven't finalised my full list yet, but I'm I'm leaning towards a somewhere between ten and fourteen, and maybe a, a, a little cup run for Marcelo. That might be quite nice. Yeah, uh, nice, a nice little semi-final exit that'll do me. Yeah, I think people are kind of also forgotten that this year Marcelo will go over the, the most amount of games he's coached ever at club level for any team mm. and I think if we can have a good season kick on you've got a slight chance of convincing him to do one more year and obviously none of us want to see him leave and I think if we just avoid relegation he, he could just say all oh, right I've done as far as I can now that's game over I think if we really kick on like the club are doing financially I think we could see him maybe stay for another year which is something we all want. I just think his ambition could override his sort of uh logical thought process mate I think I just think you know he's now got this club back to the Premier he's never managed in the Premier League even if we finish 17th I just can't see him leaving I can't I don't know what it is he's you know he's got all the assurances at Leeds he's got an excellent relationship with the fans with the city with the board and he's never had that at a club for a sustained period of time unless Rambrosani turns around and starts putting demands here there and everywhere starts restricting maybe a bit of a transfer budget or doing something within, you know, behind closed doors. If they continue to support Marcelo Bielsa, I don't know what... I still think he's going to stay beyond this year. I just cannot see him leaving. He's too ambitious. 
well, that's probably music to most Leeds fans' ears because I think a few people are still worried that he hasn't officially signed the deal for this year. But I think if we can get another two years out of him, I think we could be the luckiest fans in England, mate. Um, and a little bit of breaking news as well. Leeds just announced that we've got a behind-closed-door friendly on Saturday that we can all watch on LUTV. Uh, so that'll be good against Portuguese side. Is, that, is it Pacos Ferreira or something? Yeah, that's the one, yeah. I think it's going to be on just before the England game so we can watch, watch uh, our boys lose 3-0 with Kiko in goal and, <laughs> and then watch Calvin captain England at 5 o'clock. That's it. That's what we're all here for. Sorted. Cool. All right. Well, I think we'll leave it there, mate. Uh, thank you very much for coming on for, for episode one of the podcast. It really does mean a lot. Been an absolute pleasure, mate, to kick it off with an absolute, um, an absolute sort of positive spin, hasn't it? It's been a very positive podcast. Yeah, it has been. Yeah, and I'm speaking to uh, Gary Devonport, who you know well from Talking Shut on uh, episode three next week. So that'll probably be another positive one for all Leeds fans to check out. Ah, great stuff. Who've you got on? To, who've you got on um, episode two? Um, I'm still working on it, but it's going to be an Arsenal fan actually, because I want to get a non-Leeds fan on. I think um, for the season prediction, because obviously most of us are going to say tenth, twelfth, fourteenth, fifteenth. But be interesting to see what a complete non-Leeds uh, fan who also did follow um, Bielsa at Bilbao, so he obviously knows Marcelo. So it'd be interesting to see what he thinks. So I think that's the plan for episode two. Good stuff, mate. Sounds good. Cool. And so you said that you're predicting video for the seasons out on Saturday. Uh, and what's the the name on YouTube and Twitter if anyone wants to go follow? Yeah, guys. So if you if you want to come follow me on uh, on YouTube, it is in full swing with Conor McGilligan. And um, like I said, it's it's Leeds content. So if you want to come over and check uh, and all the sort of stuff out, we I upload every single day, which as Liam knows is is killing me. But <laughs> we've got I've got a lot of plans for the season start. So uh, yeah, if you fancy sort of a little bit more Leeds content, come join us. Cool. All right. Well, thanks a lot, everyone. We will speak to you again on episode two. Cheers. Bye.